0: When I think of branding, it's really about consistency. So your brand is your consistency in all the actions that you take online. And so if we just look at LinkedIn in particular, it's every single piece of real estate that you have access to. So it's your your profile picture, your profile banner, your title, what's on your actual profile page. Then it's also all your posts that you write, your the way that you respond to your comments, the way that you respond to your DMs. It's every little action that counts. And if you're consistent over time, then you will become like an old friend and have a brand. Right?
1: Hi, financial feminists. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to see you here. I hope however you're spending your summer, whether it's escaping the heat or diving right into it, it's going well. And as always, I'm so thankful that you are spending a little bit of time here. My name is Tori. I am a money expert. I am a New York Times bestselling author. I'm a Forbes 30 under 30. I'm also Timothy Chalamet obsessed. But if you are an oldie but a goodie, you knew that already. And if you are new, welcome. We fight the patriarchy by making you rich. A couple things before we get into the episode. One, if you are listening on Spotify, we have this lovely community feature where you can comment down below. You can share your thoughts about an episode. You can ask new questions or ask for a certain episode topic. We actually read all of them. Kirsten and I sit there and read all of them. So we would love to get your feedback and also see how you're liking the show. That's always helpful for us. And if there's anything you would like us to cover... And if you're new here or you've been here for a while and you feel a little bit lost about your money, you're feeling like, I don't know where to get started, you can go to herfirst100k.com slash quiz, herfirst100k.com slash quiz. We have built you a free money personality quiz. It's not a pass fail thing. It's not like you can fail this quiz. We ask you six questions for us to be able to deliver our best resources that make the most sense for where you are in your financial life. So it allows us to serve you best. Me and my team have spent literally years creating thousands of hours of content. and We want to deliver that to you in a way that makes sense wherever you're at in your financial life. So, The best place to get started consuming our tools and resources, herfirst100k.com slash quiz. Can't wait to see you over there. All right, let's talk about today's guests. We've touched on layoffs and job transitions a few times before, especially since every single headline these days seems to be about a new company, especially a tech company, laying off hundreds of employees. And we've also talked about how to grow a business and how to not only brand yourself, but if you are branding a business, figuring out how to do that and on what platforms to do that. So if you're job hunting or trying to start a business, one of the best tools, but often the most confusing and overlooked is LinkedIn. I think there's this perception of LinkedIn that it is like your dad's social media platform. And I have been posting a lot more on LinkedIn. You can follow me, Tori Dunlap on LinkedIn. And I'm actually seeing really interesting growth and conversations in a way that I haven't seen on social media in a long time. So I was really excited to talk to today's guest, who is the queen of LinkedIn, Halataha, to talk about how to utilize the platform to either land your dream job, build a clientele, network effectively, and brand either yourself or your business. Halataha is the founder and CEO of the award-winning social media and podcast agency, Yap Media, as well as the founder and CEO of the Yap Media Podcast Network. She started her podcast and company as a side hustle while working in corporate marketing, scaling to 50 plus employees and $5 in revenue in less than two years. She's interviewed the likes of Dave Asprey, Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right, Deepak Chopra, and more. She is frequently recognized as a top female voice in the podcast industry and was featured in the New York Times, the cover of Podcast Magazine, and received a 2022 Webby honoree for Best Live Podcast. Hala is well known for her influence and popularity on LinkedIn, as well as non-traditional apps like Castbox and Player.fm. We talk a little bit about her background getting into radio and podcasting and how she utilizes LinkedIn to build her business and get noticed. She's such a wealth of information on LinkedIn. And quite literally during this episode, I went on my own LinkedIn and made some updates. We're excited to have her here. So let's go ahead and get into it. But first, a word from our sponsors.
0: you tuning in from? I'm in Jersey City, New Jersey. Oh, nice.
1: How far is that from New York? This is my classic, like, I don't know geography very well.
0: I'm right outside the Holland Tunnel. So it literally, with no traffic, takes me about five minutes to get into the city. So I'm always in the city. I spend my boyfriends in the city. I'm basically halfway
1: in New York City and Jersey City. We're so excited to have you. It's been so fun to watch like you and I and then a couple other women like on the charts for business podcasts. It's like in the top 50. There's like you and I and three others and that's it. I love seeing yeah, us just kind of trying to navigate that space full of a bunch of men.
0: I know. So few women are really doing it in the podcast space. So kudos
1: to you. And right back at you. We're so excited to have you. You started out in radio before eventually becoming your own podcast and media agency owner. Can you take us on a tour through how you got there?
0: Yeah. So when I was in college, I took an internship at Hot 97. At the time, it was New York's number one hip hop and R&B station, actually the top one in the whole world. And it was a big deal to work at Hot 97. So this was like over 10 years ago now, maybe like 11 years ago. And it was a big deal to work at that station. And so I was just a normal intern I was like my junior year of college And then they had asked me to basically take my internship to another level and become an unpaid intern. But my benefit of that is that I'd be working in the studio area directly with Angie Martinez, the voice of New York. And I was to be her associate producer on the Angie Martinez show. The catch was I wasn't going to get paid and it was all under like not on the books and totally not legal and all these different things. And so I jumped on the opportunity because I always wanted to use my voice as a positive you know, mechanism for my generation. And just my my voice is something that I've always leveraged. Even since I was a young girl, I love to sing and all these different things. And I've always used my voice in different ways. And so I thought of this radio opportunity as another way to leverage my voice and hone my skills in this area. And so I jumped on the opportunity, I ended up dropping out of college for about two years, and just taking this radio internship, apprenticeship, really, super seriously. And so I became Hala from Hot 97. Everybody from college knew me as Hala from Hot 97. I would make money hosting concerts and showcases at night, underground rapper showcases, and learned uh, different sales skills. I would run their social media on the side. I would do blogging for the DJs on the side. I had my online radio shows, which was the precursor of podcasting on the side. And so I just totally like dived right into this radio online radio space at the time. And then, you know, I was really itching for a paid job. And I remember basically asking Hot 97, like, hey, can I at least get paid minimum wage? Like, everybody in my family is doctors. I had dropped out of school. My parents were, like, tr- disowning me at this point. Seems and, like the
1: bare minimum they can do is compensate you for your labor. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I and I was really doing a good job. You don't keep somebody around for three years that doesn't do a good job, right? And I was training all their interns and so integrated within the company and on air, I was sitting commercials and and I was like a character on air for, for Angie Martinez's show, but still not getting paid. So I asked to get paid and they fired me immediately because I became a risk. And so they cut the key cards. I didn't get to say bye to anyone. I was absolutely devastated because I had tied my identity with being an employee at hot 97. I was literally on Twitter, holla hot 97. Like everything was holla hot 97. And so I was really, really devastated, but I'm one to get back up on my feet very quickly. So I got fired on a Thursday. By Sunday, I had already thought of my new idea. I was gonna create something called the Sorority of Hip Hop and I was to be the president. I went back to school and I started recruiting girls for the Sorority of Hip Hop. Within two weeks, I had 14 girls on this thing called the Sorority of Hip Hop. We had our first board meeting. And I started a blog. We were talking about how you started out with the blog. So it was called the sororityofhiphop.com. Within three months, we were one of the most popular hip hop and entertainment websites. And I was already getting you know, solicits from MTV to have my own show. And so we had a very small pilot with MTV when we first started. Nothing happened. And I didn't really care because I was like, it's just three months in. What's going to happen six months from now? Let me just keep going. And then about two years into it, we were, we, we were hosting parties. We had online radio shows, all these different things. MTV came back to us again for uh, a pilot that we shot the entire summer. They might've invested, I would say, at least $100,000 in this pilot. They got us a studio on Broadway. And I almost became famous. And I remember thinking this was like such a pivotal moment in my life because I had worked for free for three years at Han 97, got rejected. Then I started my own thing. It blew up. The same DJs that wouldn't pay me minimum wage started hiring us to promote their parties. And I became like pretty famous in the tri-state area running this sorority of hip hop. I got shouted out on the radio more running this blog than I did when I worked at Han 97. And so I felt like I finally made it and then I was going to actually get paid and get like... MTV was giving us a paycheck for every show, right? And so, and I was getting paid the most and I was very excited. Two weeks before we were going to air, MTV pulls a plug. No reason why. Sorry, Hala. We decided we're moving in another direction. Really sorry. This is after like they swore to God that like I was going to get this show. They told me it was like 90% and like everything. And then I was, again, it was like one of those devastating moments in my life. And at that point, I feel like, I was so chipped away at that I was just like gave up. I was like, you know what? My parents are right. My family's right. I'm not going to be famous. I don't know what I'm thinking. Let me just forget about all of this entertainment life. Let me forget about broadcasting. I went and got my MBA and I decided I was just going to get a real job. And so I'll pause there. I went to Hewlett Packard and then Disney and I'll pause there for now.
1: I just can't get over three years unpaid. Yeah. Like... How did that affect your psyche? Because you're doing all of this great work and you're seeing all of this progress. And you also are saying like, okay, my identity is this thing. And yet I'm not getting compensated financially for any of it. Like that's got to fuck with you. It does. But at the
0: same time, I think it's the reason why I'm so successful now. I got so much experience and so many contacts and I was still making money. But just doing different things. I was selling underground rapper showcase tickets and hosting rapper showcases and getting sponsorships for my online radio show. I was still figuring out how to be scrappy and make money. I think everybody saw like how scrappy and hardworking I was. I don't regret for a second the three years I got very little money from Hot 97 because I think that I honed skills that I was able to make millions of dollars off
1: uh, later on. It's really interesting. I think it's one of those things. Obviously, I don't have your experience, although there was internships I took that were unpaid. I have to respectfully disagree that there's something. There's something like, I think people deserve to get compensated financially in order to pay their bills and, and in order to navigate that. And I get that there are certain like payments that you can get that aren't financial, right? There's connections, there's opportunities, but it's really it's really hard to to leverage that with I imagine y- you had to make all of these opportunities for yourself to make money right because you weren't getting paid for the thing you were doing in the 9 to 5. Yeah. You know, so that's that's tricky.
0: And I and I think so here's my role and I, I- Now I have like a real business, right? So it's a totally different, like all my interns, even my interns now get stipends and get paid and whatever. But when I was first starting out, nobody was making any money and everybody knew this was like a volunteer type of thing. People should get paid as soon as you're not teaching them anything new. So nobody ever felt, I've never had one person in my organizations, like when I've done like intern volunteer work, I've never had one person complain because they've learned so many skills that they're then able to monetize. And anytime somebody is doing something and it becomes valuable, and I can't teach them anymore, then they get paid, right? And they get hired and, and they get a job. So I think as long as you're teaching somebody new skills, there's value in unpaid work. Like I, I disagree with you on that. And and there's lots of opportunities to work for free and get those skills. Hmm.
1: You mentioned your MBA. I, you basically like started over, got your MBA, did the corporate thing for a few years. What did you learn during that time that helped you come back to radio and podcasting successfully?
0: So I wouldn't say that my MBA really had a correlation with my success. What it did allow me to do is I... So I had a crazy resume at the time. So if, if you think about what my resume looked like when I got my MBA... I was a college dropout that left for two years, went back. I was an unpaid intern at a radio station. And then I had a blog site, a hip hop blog site, and I hosted parties. So my resume looked crazy to try to get a corporate job. And that was my goal. My MBA internship enabled me to get a corporate job because I was able to get an MBA internship at a corporate company. And then I was able to prove myself and then get a job. And so my MBA actually enabled me to start my corporate career. Now, in terms of me going back on the mic, 4 years into my job at Hewlett Packard, I felt really unfulfilled. I felt like I really need to to go back to my passions. I was doing a great job at Hewlett Packard. I got promoted 4 times in 4 years and was doing really well, but I felt like something was missing and I was honestly bored. I was I, I could do my day job, you know, and and I felt like I had more to offer to the world. So I started my podcast this time. It was my first actual podcast, my first solo show and my first business show. So I felt like I had more credibility to come at it with a business angle. And then also because I had done a really great job in corporate, I thought that I was going to go into corporate and be really behind. But actually being an entrepreneur and learning on the internet, I was actually way more tech savvy than everybody else. And I was like known as like the tech whiz kid at Hewlett Packard. And it it actually really helped me. So I felt like I could come at it from a different angle, both having this MBA business background, corporate background and entrepreneurship. And so I I went at it.
1: Well, and you've interviewed some really incredible people. Was there a particular interview that was impactful to you, whether that was from your radio days or from now the podcast?
0: Yeah, I would say one of the highlights of my podcasting career was when I interviewed Matthew McConaughey. That was right before my podcast really took off. I got on the cover of podcast magazine. And when anybody, a lot of people who have followed my journey from five years ago, one of the things that they always say is like, I've been listening to you since before Matthew McConaughey. That's like everybody's turning point of when I made it. And it's funny because when it's you yourself, you don't, you don't, feel that that's like, like there's pivotal milestones, but to the outside world, that was a pivotal milestone. So that one was really special to me. And then I recently interviewed Damon John. And that's somebody who I used to watch on Shark Tank with my father who passed away and my dad was a big fan. So for me, that one was really special because I feel like he would have been really happy about that one.
1: Yeah. Shark Tank is also a Dunlap family thing. We sit together and watched it when, when I was living at home. So yeah, it was it was a family tradition for us too. Let's transition into talking about LinkedIn and networking. LinkedIn gets this like bad rep as being this like very like corporate social media experience, but I have seen how it's helped my business grow and helped me connect with people I might not have otherwise. What are other reasons someone might use LinkedIn or why is it powerful for somebody that might be listening?
0: So LinkedIn is such a great site. It is not just a site to look for jobs. There's millions of people who are going on there and consuming content just like they would any other platform, Instagram, Facebook, and so on. And so for me, it's a really big business opportunity. LinkedIn is really great for entrepreneurs, freelancers, small business owners, corporate professionals who also want more job security and want more opportunity. It is a great professional network. People on LinkedIn generally make more money They have an average of $75,000 a year salary, at least or above, right? They're mostly college educated. Almost everybody has a job. And so this is a market that can afford services and products. And so if you're an entrepreneur, you definitely should be on LinkedIn trying to reach out to these people. The other thing with LinkedIn that makes it really interesting is that it is really good at search right? So you can actually search people by title, by the companies they work at, by how big their company is. You can search keywords in people's profiles. And so it enables all this targeting when it comes to business that is not accessible on Instagram or other platforms as easily. And so you can do a lot of different selling tactics in the DMs. I teach this in my LinkedIn masterclass that you just really can't do on other platforms. The other thing is that people on LinkedIn are in the mode to buy, right? People use LinkedIn when they're making purchasing decisions, when they're researching, and so if you reach out to somebody about a product or a service you think that might be relevant for them based on the information on their profile, they're less likely to disregard it compared to like Instagram or something when they're like posting about their family and they don't and that feels intrusive, right? So it's also a, a platform that's primed for these sales conversations.
1: I think one of the things because I have this background in social media as well that people get wrong is there are like social media sites that are what we think of social media of like conversations or yeah life updates right i got engaged or i'm doing this thing i got a new job and then there's like social media that really is just like another search engine i think of pinterest as like pinterest is not really social media i don't know about you but i'm not commenting on my friends pins right i am searching things on pinterest that i would normally search on google how to sew us something right like i'm looking on pinterest for an image or for some sort of answer to my question. I think LinkedIn is similar and we're starting to see that from TikTok a little bit. Can you talk to me more about the difference in how we, how we view like LinkedIn as social media? And really, I think for me, it feels more like a search engine.
0: Yeah, the, it's interesting that you say that. I feel like LinkedIn is really a social media network, just like any other social media network. People are posting about their family and their stories and their experiences. It might
1: be a right? little bit of both in a way that maybe some of them are It's aren't. both.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's definitely both, right? So there's like the feed portion of LinkedIn, which is very traditional. You can almost think of it as like an old school Facebook feed where people are posting about their lives, their accomplishments. Now we can talk about the LinkedIn algorithm if you'd like. Here's the thing the LinkedIn algorithm is very different from other social media algorithms because the last stage in that algorithm is actually human editors who are monitoring the content to make sure that it aligns to LinkedIn's agenda. And LinkedIn is a professional network. So they are prioritizing content that is hiring, recruitment, careers, graduation, entrepreneurship related. That's why when you go on LinkedIn, you see all those stories at the top of your feed because LinkedIn wants their editorial agenda to be that, right? So LinkedIn is a social media network. But it's got this professional spin around it when it comes to the content, right? So that's how we can think of the content. And then there's this whole other angle of DMs and and all these cool things that you can do with invites and invite notes and in mails and DMs. And so that's like the second layer of it, especially if if you're a business owner or entrepreneur that you can really leverage and utilize on LinkedIn.
1: I have kind of a two part question What is the biggest mistake that people are making on LinkedIn, either as W-2, like people who are not interested in running a business versus people who are. Like what mistakes are you seeing for both of those kinds of people?
0: Mm. So people who are corporate or people who are entrepreneurs, you're saying. So first of all, People don't understand the algorithm and LinkedIn is definitely the type of platform where you could have the best content in the world. And if you don't understand how the algorithm works, it's never going to work for you and you're never going to get any engagement. And so a lot of people get discouraged and they think like, you know, I'm just not going to make it when really they're just not following the rules. So some of the rules include like you can't put a link in your caption. And this goes for most social media sites. Their goal is to keep users on the platform engaged for as long as possible. You go and you point them to your website, you're taking them off platform that is not aligned to the agenda of LinkedIn, which is to keep the users on their platform so they can see their ads and see their recruitment posts and whatever it is. And so as somebody who creates content, you never want to link out to a third-party site in your caption because LinkedIn's going to deprioritize that. So that's like one example. Another example is the fact that in the beginning of the algorithm, LinkedIn categorizes your posts into three filters. So it's, they're called spam filters. Spam is the, like obvious, like nudity, profanity, grammar mistakes, that kind of stuff. But then they've got this low quality filter that isn't as obvious. So, for example, using big, chunky paragraphs people on LinkedIn like to skim. And LinkedIn knows that the more skimmable your content, the more enjoyable and entertaining it is, the more likely that people are going to stop and actually read it. And so if you're using big, chunky paragraphs on LinkedIn, you're actually going to be filtered as low quality and LinkedIn's going to serve your content to less users. And so just being skimmable, that's why you see all the influencers doing this line by line style on LinkedIn, because it actually is related to the algorithm, not just people's like aesthetics and preferences to how they read content, right? The other thing is like tagging too many people in your posts. A lot of people think they should tag all these influencers or tag even the company they work for. If these people are not engaging on your posts within 90 minutes, LinkedIn is going to think that's spam. They're going to think you're spamming people and they're not engaging. And so it will actually deprioritize your post. So there's lots of little rules that you need to understand. And if you understand those rules, you will be like way far ahead of the game.
1: I've always wondered why the the LinkedIn text is read in like one liners. Like I've always wondered. I didn't know if that was just like the trend of just like just this this is the way we write on LinkedIn because I've done the same thing where it's like yeah, you don't look you don't read blocky text and also I don't post blocky text on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. I I think a lot of our listeners have this idea. It, it's just like networking feels really sterile. It feels like really confusing. The Even the word networking for me like conjures, you know, like pencil skirts and high heels and like a lot of handshakes. How can you stand out and own that individuality that makes you special, but also make sure you're communicating your resume or your offerings well?
0: Mm. Yeah, this is a really great question. So in my LinkedIn masterclass, I talk a lot about branding and how to create a brand. And to me, when I think of branding, it's really about consistency. So your brand is your consistency in all the actions that you take online. And so if we just look at LinkedIn in particular, it's every single piece of real estate that you have access to. So it's your your profile picture, your profile banner, your title, what's on your actual profile page, then it's also all your posts that you write. Your, the way that you respond to your comments, the way that you respond to your DMs, it's every little action that counts. And if you're consistent over time, then you will become like an old friend and have a brand, right? So when I share something on LinkedIn, we didn't talk about it yet, but I'm one of the most popular influencers on LinkedIn and I'm the top podcaster on that platform. That's really how I, be- I became an influencer on LinkedIn before my podcast blew up. And it's because I leveraged LinkedIn to grow my podcast, Right. And so in terms of branding, I came up with a framework and basically it's, it's aligning your personality, your values, the transformation that you want to make with your audience and the way that you deliver that transformation. To me, that is the cohesive view of the elements of a personal brand. And so it's very important for you to know what your values are, what your personality type is, how you want to make a transformation with your audience so that you can be consistent
1: in all these different actions and create a brand. What does creating an optimized version of LinkedIn look like for an individual versus a brand?
0: Yeah. So one of the things to note on LinkedIn is that if you look at the most popular influencers, they're all people. And so this is a big question that I get a lot. Should I focus on my company page? Should I focus on my personal page? And my answer is always personal page. If you think about anybody who's crushing it on LinkedIn, think Gary V. Everybody knows he's Media, but he's Gary V. You see Barbara Corcoran, Grant Cardone, everything. It's all the CEO or the spokesperson of the company's page who's generating all the momentum. And there's a reason behind that. And that's because company pages has, have less capabilities. Company pages don't have DMs. DMs is a huge strategy on LinkedIn. And it also feeds the LinkedIn algorithm in terms of the posts that you write. So for example, when you DM somebody, they see your content at the top of their feed for two weeks. If you have a new connection request on LinkedIn, they'll see your content at the top of their feed for two weeks. So if you don't have this DM invite capability on the company page, you're losing all this potential momentum that you could be having on your personal page. So I always say prioritize your personal page first. And then if you have bandwidth, you can have a company page and that company page can work in tandem with your personal page to like and comment and share and post, you know, you guys can like basically cross promote on those pages. But by far you will get much more traction on a personal page than a company page.
1: We talked a little on a previous episode with our guest Alina Ansari about networking with intentionality. What does that look like on social media? especially when your audience is larger or when you are trying to build a brand, because that feels a lot less personal.
0: Yeah. The first thing that pops in my head is this idea of collaboration over competition, right? And for me, one of the ways that I blew up on social media was actually by collaborating with my competitors. And so, for example, on LinkedIn, the con- have you ever heard of the concept of, of an engagement pod?
1: Yes. Yeah. In the good old days of Instagram a couple of years ago, the big engagement pods. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's still the good old age on LinkedIn. Like engagement pods are live and well, they're not against terms of service. Again, you're bringing people on to LinkedIn. So LinkedIn likes that rather than pulling them off. And so they're not against terms of service. And one of the ways that I grew on LinkedIn is I saw all these other up and coming podcasters on the platform and anybody who was making any sort of noise, who got any sort of engagement, I reach out to them and I was like, Hey, what's up? My name is Hala. I'm in the podcasting space too. I see you're doing your thing. I'm really impressed. I respect you. Do you want to join my WhatsApp? up group and let's support each other's content so i got 60 other podcasters on linkedin in this pod And then I would host monthly calls with them. We would share tips. And then, you know, we would support each other's posts. And it really helped me get ahead. I learned faster. I networked with all these people. When Clubhouse came out, we were hosting events together. We met each other at conferences. And these people became my friends and advocates and really helped propel my career in this space. And essentially, I use this tactic all the time. And it's basically being the glue that brings like-minded people together. If you can be the glue that brings like-minded people together, people will respect you really more. They'll think of you for other opportunities. It's like the law of reciprocity you're giving to them because you're like, here, this is a platform that I've started. I'm, in, I'm proactively inviting you to it. I'm taking up my time to facilitate this group for us. And then people will want to repay that favor for you. So that's that's one way that I, I leverage networking on social media.
1: Yeah. I have a group chat with fellow women entrepreneurs that we call the hype squad and we do very similar things, but it's also, it's just like, it's so to, you know, take it even a step further. And you were mentioning this of like, beyond just like engaging on posts. It's also just like, they're who I go to when I'm like, hi, I have this question in my business or like, you know, some you know, somebody's asking, you know, a question of us and it's so nice to be able to have that community of like minded people to be able to answer it. Or yeah, like I know this person. I can connect you to them. And and that's truly what networking is, right? Is it's like a give and take and just like any other relationship. That's that's what it is. We just have a like fancy label put on it.
0: Totally. And like t- to be clear, these engagement pods sometimes can be very transactional. So you don't want to join one where they're just like come here, like and comment on links. We don't care about who you are. What you like. You want to find people of common ground and then also have other opportunities to speak to each other outside of just supporting the post so that you guys actually care about leaving meaningful comments and care about each other's success.
1: Yeah, because you'll see it. People will see it if it feels very transactional. Yeah, like
0: that's great.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nice job, you know, emoji. <laughs> You, you run a podcast agency, as we mentioned before. Why do you think podcasting as a medium works so well for both big creators and small creators? I, as a fellow podcaster, feel like everybody in the past year has tried to get in the podcast game. Like, Why do you think it works so well?
0: Podcasting is such a special channel and I think that there's so many ways to monetize a podcast, right? So it's like you can monetize a podcast through the guests that come on your show. That's originally how I monetize a podcast. You can monetize a podcast even with a small audience and sell them your products and services. If you grow it big enough, you can get sponsorships. And so there's just lots of angles that you can use podcasting to leverage. And then also it's just such a great long form content channel and it's just such a great way to create long form content and then chop it up into small form content for your socials for your newsletter, whatever it is. And so I feel like there's just lots of ways you can use a podcast on in your social media and marketing efforts. And so for that reason, I think it's it's a good one. But the thing is, is that I think a lot of people are entering podcasting, not knowing enough and not taking it seriously enough. I don't think there's room for people who are taking it more as like a hobby. I feel like you need to actually really try it's a lot harder than it looks to do it well
1: if you want to like rank and make money right if you just want to like have a conversation with your friends and record it and put it up like cool but like that's probably not going to make you any money exactly so you were mentioning that it's it's actually a it's a great segue Uh, one of the questions i always think about as an entrepreneur is like how can i make content once and utilize it on a bunch of different platforms, right? Working smarter, not harder. When you talk about podcasting or LinkedIn, how have you thought about taking content, creating it once, and then turning it and transforming it into content for various social media platforms?
0: Yeah, I think this is a really great strategy. I think the key though to doing this strategy is understanding that when you do create this micro content, let's say from your podcast, you've got to customize it for every platform. So that means understanding the features and the algorithm of every platform, understanding the different sizes that you need to put it in, understanding the different styles that work in terms of the captions on every platform or the way that hashtags work on every platform. So it does enable you to to do something once but then you definitely have to customize it per channel because that's one of the biggest mistakes i see with podcast promotion they take what they put on instagram they put it on linkedin and for example ig reels do the best on instagram but videos do terrible on linkedin unless they're linkedin live videos are typically deprioritized on that platform everybody's listening with the sound off and also sensory adaptation people are sick of these talking head videos because it was done so much so That type of style, talking head, micro content from podcasts actually does very poorly on LinkedIn while it does really well on Instagram. So it's understanding the platform and what you can use from each one. So for example, we might use vertical style reels on Instagram, creating that from the podcast. And for LinkedIn, it might be transcribing the podcast and then whatever stories come out of it, writing a story instead on LinkedIn with a graphic that would do better than a video.
1: Do you think there's value in podcasting? are starting a podcast for somebody who isn't a small business owner
0: Yes. The networking aspect of it. When I first started my podcast, I did not think I was going to make a dime. That was not my goal at all. It was just to fulfill this need to want to serve and 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 meet new people and interview experts and learn myself. And so if you have really pure intentions like that, that's actually one of the best reasons to start a podcast. I think one of the worst reasons to start a podcast is to think you're going to make all this money because it's not that easy. It takes years.
1: Well, and that addendum is to my previous comment too. Like, I agree. I think that there is a play of like, oh, I want to monetize this eventually versus, yeah, you're definitely not going to make money right off the bat. (laughs) Like there's, there's not an immediate transition to that. Unless
0: you're already a social media influencer. And unless you're already like a really established business person.
1: Or you're Julia Louis-Dreyfus, right? Who just like launched her podcast. Yeah. And it's like, if you are a
0: really established business owner and you're an expert, even if you have, and you have got some sort of service that you're offering, even if you have 50 people listening, Maybe they'll buy because you're such an expert and you know what you're talking about. So it's like if you have experience or or clout already, yeah, you could probably monetize pretty quickly. But if not, it's going to be like anything else. Like it takes time to build.
1: And we were talking about on my episode of your show, this idea of like side hustles of, you know, if you're feeling like, okay, I need to make money right now, starting a business or a podcast is probably it's not the way to do that. Unless, like, like you said, you're already a name. This is a long term play. When I first started Her First I yeah, I didn't make money for a couple years. I didn't make substantial money to, to pay my own bills, yet alone everything else that I needed to, to make money to do. So, yeah, it's, it's important to think about. <laughs> Yeah,
0: and it's interesting if if anybody's interested in starting a podcast, like I mentioned, there's so many different ways to monetize. So I remember when I first started podcasting, the idea of getting sponsorships felt so far away because you need to get like a 100,000 downloads a month at least to be like eligible even for sponsorships in this space, right? And so for me, when I first started, even though I was big on LinkedIn, I still wasn't getting those, those big numbers in terms of the downloads. And so for me, it seemed like just such a far off goal. It would never happen. And I actually started monetizing with my guests at first, the guests that would come on my show. They would leave the show almost every time, Tori. They'd be like, how did you grow on LinkedIn? Can you do it for me? And I'd be like, no, no, I've got a corporate job or I just have volunteers that work for me. I can't do this for you. And they would always ask me, like, how'd you grow your podcast? How'd you grow your LinkedIn? And then eventually I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll start a marketing agency because all these famous people are asking me to do it for them and I keep turning them down. And then my my agency blew up overnight. Then I was able to invest back in growing my podcast because I learned about how people grow podcasts. And so I started doing like advertising on different podcast apps and this and that. And then I grew my podcast big enough to get sponsorships, right? And so it's like, I took it a totally different approach. There's so many ways that you can achieve success in the podcast world, but it's all about like being strategic and how you go about monetizing it initially, I think.
1: And the intentionality of that, of I, I think plenty of people ask something to make money before it's ready to make money. Yeah. Um, and I think it being intentional of like, okay, we're going to grow this and it's not going to make money. So we need to go make money somewhere else in order for it to see the kind of growth we want is so, so important. Yeah, exactly. What's something someone can do today or this week to update their social media to help them either hone in on their personal brand or make themselves more visible to potential jobs? Mm.
0: I would say on LinkedIn specifically, make sure that you pay attention to your title. So you get about three lines in your title. And the first line is what pops up when you post something on LinkedIn. And so I want everybody to go to their profile page. First of all, make sure you've got a profile picture that's not too far way that's not too close up where we're looking up your nose it's got to be like just right in terms of like it's your face I always say that like a good uh, rule of thumb is a head tilt eyebrow flash and a smile for your profile picture, people like to see the whites of your eyes, the white of your teeth. If you tilt your head, you're you're basically showing that you're friendly. These are friend signals. You're showing your carotid artery, which is like the most vulnerable part of your body. And so a head tilt, a smile, and an eyebrow flash in your profile picture is the way to go. Something that's not too distracting in your background of your profile picture, a high contrast, right? Looking at your LinkedIn banner, realizing that your LinkedIn banner is actually a real estate space that you can update whenever you want. So if you've got a new book, or if you're a speaker, make sure that it's pictures of you speaking, whatever your main thing is, make sure that you're banner on your profile page on LinkedIn is soliciting and that can that can change all the time. So when I have a new masterclass, I update my banner promoting the masterclass. The other thing is that LinkedIn now has a new feature called link in bio. And so if you're not that familiar with LinkedIn, you probably don't realize this is a new feature. It's called like their work with me link. And you can update that link to an external website. And I get thousands of clicks on this every single month. And so this is something that if you're a small business owner, you want to make sure you go and update right away. It's it's called your work with me link. And then like I mentioned before, your title, make sure that you've got keywords in your title. Make sure you've clearly identified who you service and what you do in your title. And make sure it's things that people are actually searching. Don't use like jargon that you only know. Uh, Think about how your clients would be searching for that specific type of person on LinkedIn and then put that in your profile.
1: I have to ask before we go any other like body language tips for networking, because even that you dropped that. And I was like, I didn't know that.
0: Oh, my gosh, I know so much about this, because I I interview so many different people. I have a, a couple a couple different ones. So in a networking event, you can tell if you are able to approach people by their feet. So if their feet are pointing to each other, that means that you're not allowed in this conversation. This is a private conversation. And if their feet are pointing out where there's like sort of a space, that means that they're welcoming other people into their conversation. So that's like one example. You can. It's okay to meet if you if
1: they, if something about their feet. I don't remember what I think. Doctor Shag Schaefer taught me some line. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like you know if you have two people facing each other, they're having a private conversation versus you know the one where you're like right next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah.
0: If you like your shoulder, yeah. If like if if it's opened up a little bit, you can go and talk to them. So, and like another thing with feet is that people judge you by your shoes really, really heavily. People will judge your financial status by your shoes. So for me, I'm always like I never wear any scuffed heels. I always wear really expensive shoes because people will literally make snap judgments just based on the shoes that you're wearing. It's one of the first things people look at when they're trying to judge your social status. So. I know I know this like went left and we started talking no, about No, that's feet, super
1: but... interesting. i <laughs> like I wear my like $25 Adidas when I speak and I actually do that intentionally to appear more accessible. I have like Ooh, there you go. tailored suit and then and also because I can't wear heels like my back will not allow it. I have a bad back. And so it's like Yeah. I've often wondered, I'm like, are people judging me for my shoes? But also for me, it doesn't matter, but it sounds like it does. So now I'm going to have a whole existential crisis. What is next for you? Where can people find you?
0: Yeah. So you guys can listen to my podcast called Young and Profiting. We interview the brightest minds in the world. So I've interviewed people like Seth Godin, Alex Ramosi, Chris Voss has come on my show five times, Robert Green, all these great people. We talk mostly about entrepreneurship, human behavior, how to get influence, sales strategies, marketing strategies, finance. We just had Tori on the show. So it's a really great show. I hope you guys take a listen. Uh, I also have a LinkedIn masterclass. I launched a new arm of my business called the Yap Academy. And so our first program is a LinkedIn masterclass. We get hundreds of people who do it every month and it has rave reviews. So if you guys wanna learn more about LinkedIn, how to convert your following into leads, how to go viral, how to become an influencer, you can go to yapmedia.io slash course
1: thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for your insight.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. It was so much fun.
1: Thank you again to Hala for joining us. Make sure to check out her podcast, Young and Profiting. I will be there where we did a little interview swap. So we'll make sure to link all of the important deets in the show notes for where to follow her and engage with her content. And again, as always, don't just listen to this episode and be like, cool, that was fun. Actually use it to change your life. So maybe make some updates to your LinkedIn, use some of her strategies to optimize your profile, whether you are, again, a business owner or a soon to be business owner, or you're trying to find that new job linkedin is all about telling your story effectively and so while we didn't dive into like you know reaching out to recruiters or like optimizing a resume there are so many impactful things that you can do on linkedin to stand out in a very crowded space we thank you as always for being here financial feminists you can follow the show at financial feminist podcast on instagram at her first hundred k on all of the social medias and again if you want personalized resources to better your money you can go to her first hundred k dot com slash quiz Thank you for being here, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist, a Her First 100K podcast. Financial Feminist is hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, produced by Kristen Fields, marketing and administration by Karina Patel, Sophia Cohen, Khalil Dumas, Elizabeth McCumber, Beth Bowen, Amanda LaFue, Masha Bakhmickieva, Kaylin Sprinkle, Samaya Mulla Carrillo, and Harvey Carlson. Research by Arielle Johnson. Audio engineering by Austin Fields. Promotional graphics by Mary Stratton. Photography by Sarah Wolfe. And theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, and episode show notes, visit financialfeministpodcast.com.